Really glad to have you uh, join with us in worship this morning. Uh, we're in Luke 11, 5 through 9. We're going to focus on those uh, few verses there today. This is week four of our four-week series on prayer. Uh, we're going to finish up this week uh, with a little bit of a focus on uh, what intercessory prayer looks like. And uh, last week, we talked about petitionary prayer. Uh, that's prayers for ourselves. And this week, we are focusing a little bit more on prayers for others. Um, in the midst of talking uh, through this with God this week and, and, and looking at this scripture, um, it took on a little bit different turn than I thought it was going to. So uh, we'll still talk about intercessory prayer some, but uh, what we're basically going to be talking about today is a, a persistent boldness that we are called to have when it comes to our prayer lives. A persistent boldness. It's a, it's a key idea in this passage that we'll talk about today. This uh, is at the end of the Lord's Prayer. If you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and turn there. Luke 11, 5 to 9, we're going to read those verses. This is right after Jesus has answered uh, the question to the disciples about how do we pray? What, what does it look like to pray, Lord? And, and so he's, he's telling him uh, in response to the question from the disciples. This is Luke 11, 5 through 9. Follow along if you would, please. Verse 5. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, the disciples, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he, that is the friend, will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, this is Jesus, I tell you, though he will not get up and give you anything, give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then verse 9, Jesus summarizes all this and he says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Let's go ahead and pray. As we jump in, Father in heaven, we continue our worship even now as we dive into your word. And we ask now, we ask and we seek and we knock, we boldly and persistently approach you with the expectation that you will meet with us through your spirit and teach us and train us and shape us increasingly into the people that you've created us to be. Lord, we ask that our time this morning would be fruitful toward that end, and that you would utilize this worship service to make us more and more into your people. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I have a question to start off with as we uh, talk about this prayer thing. I don't know if you ever feel this way in your prayer relationship with God. Um, I know sometimes I do. Do you ever feel sort of impatient with God in your prayer life? Sort of impatient. Does, does sometimes God seem late in answering your requests or meeting your needs? Certainly all of us as believers have had questions concerning prayer 
at some point in our Christian life. Like, like this. Why are we to continue to pray for something after we've prayed for it if we've already prayed and we are believing God for the answer? So we're supposed to be persistent about a prayer that we have confidence that God is going to answer for us. That almost sounds and feels like unbelief. What about those times when we pray and we are certain of an answer and yet no answer comes? We're confident that it's God's will to do something for us, but nothing seems to happen and that, that prayer is not answered in a way that's evident to us. What are we to do then? In Luke 11, 1 to 4, in answer to the disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus gave a prayer, as we call it, the Lord's Prayer. And we recite that every Sunday. But that prayer was more than just a prayer to be repeated it was to serve as a blueprint of all prayer that would be acceptable to God. And while it's not wrong to recite a prayer, it's more important to understand its principles. So now that, that he has given them the pattern for what prayer in God's will looks like, the Lord continues his instruction for us here in 5 through 9 and following by telling a couple stories. And we're going to look at the first of these stories. And he tells it in the form of a parable. It gives us this, this word picture to tell us about what it looks like to boldly and persistently approach God in prayer. Because that's his desire for us. We're not going to have lots of things to fill out in your sermon notes this morning. We're basically going to talk about that one idea that, that we serve a God, that we pray to a God who wants to speak to his children and wants us to make requests of him. We are called to pray with a bold persistence. Let's look at verses 5 through 8 here again. I want to read these uh, so that we have this background in our, in our minds clearly. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He's saying this to them. He's telling them this parable. Verse 5, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. In other words, we don't have bread. We're looking for bread because someone has come to visit us. And so we go to a friend's house because we know that friend has bread. This friend of mine has arrived on a journey. It's like we're saying that in verse 6. And I have nothing to set before this friend who's come on a journey. So which of us has a friend who, verse 7, who answers us, Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he, that friend, will not get up and give you anything because he is a friend, Yet because of your impudence, your persistence, your bold persistence in asking that friend, that friend will rise and give you what you need. In order to understand this parable, we need to understand a few things about first century culture. First century ancient Near Eastern Palestinian culture. First of all, food was not as readily available as it is for us today. There was no 24-hour convenience mart on the corner 
to which you can go and just buy bread and milk whenever you needed to. And because they didn't have the same preservatives that we do, and they couldn't freeze their bread, at best, you had bread that lasted for a couple days. And so what people did is they baked their bread enough for the day or two. Secondly, in this culture, hospitality was held in very high regard. It was seen almost as a duty. So a visitor was welcomed and cared for regardless of the hour of the arrival. And oftentimes, in order to uh, avoid the intense heat of the midday sun, people would travel in the evening or at night. So it wasn't uncommon to have a visitor in the middle of the night. So here's the dilemma. This poor, unprepared host, Jesus is saying that's us in this story. We have a late arriving guest who was hungry after a long and exhausting journey. And it is our duty as the host to provide a meal. But we have no bread. And not to provide for a guest's needs would not only bring shame upon himself and the family, but upon the village as a whole. People would have called that place an inhospitable city. Don't worry about traveling there on your way. You're probably not going to get any bread, would be the kinds of things they'd end up saying. So, so this person is in this dilemma. The person without bread, who has the visitor in the middle of the night. What is this person to do? And though this man, us in the story, cannot supply the need himself, he knows of another who can and who will supply the need. So he goes to his friend's house, regardless of how late it is, and asks for help. You see what's going on here is this. Jesus is asking of his listeners, which of you has the nerve to wake up his friend and possibly his whole family in the middle of the night to ask for bread? For some of us, it sounds almost rude to do that. But you see, Jesus is saying, I want you to have that kind of nerve to ask when you need it. Jesus continues the story in verse 7. Look there. It says this in verse 7. He will answer from within, Do not bother me. Don't trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. Even, even today in our society, it's easy to understand uh, this other man's reluctance to meet the need for bread. Anyone who's ever wrestled uh, to get children into bed understands this man's reluctance. Listen, dude, it took me an hour to get these kids to bed. You can almost hear him saying that kind of thing. So the whole family, you see, it slept in the same room, and there's one door, and there's even smaller livestock in lots of these little houses that would have been in that room or in an adjoining room with them. And so to meet the needs of this person at the door asking for bread is a big inconvenience, frankly. And so the man inside the house initially tries to refuse the request. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Apparently that friendship in the story was not sufficient re reason to uh, upset the whole household. So Jesus, 
what he's saying to his listeners is this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a friend who would react in such a way? And of course, he's asking the question so that they would say, no. <laughs> he, ex he asked the question in a way that expected a negative reply. No, of course a friend does not reject you in that way. And so ultimately, in this story, the reluctant friend with the bread would get up, would wake up, and would give his neighbor what he needed for one reason only. And it's that word that in my version says impudence. The bold persistence of the man making the request is the one and only reason in this parable that the friend with bread shared the need and supplied the need. You see, Jesus, Jesus is not comparing God to a, a sleepy and, and selfish uh, neighbor. He is, in fact, contrasting the two. He's telling the disciples that if a neighbor can, on the basis of mere social etiquette, be persuaded to meet the needs of a friend, how much more will your Father in heaven meet the needs of his children? Look at that verse there. Verse 8, in the middle of that verse is that word that I called impudence, bold persistence. In many of your versions, it may say importunity, impudence. It may say persistence in a lot of your versions. The key to understanding this is that main word. If you're a circler of words, circle that in your Bible there because that's the key to the nature in which this person is to ask and which Jesus is telling the disciples to ask. This is the only time in the entire New Testament, that this word happens. And it wor this word carries the idea of a bold persistence. Another way of saying it is shamelessness. The idea is that we are called to shamelessly ask a father who wants to meet our needs and to meet the needs of people. So, so what gives us the right to come boldly or shamelessly as sinners to approach the throne of a God who is infinitely beyond our greatest thoughts of him? What, what makes us think that we have the right to, with a bold persistence, ask an infinite and perfectly holy God to take care of our needs. We've all felt that tension in our prayer lives, in our lives as Christians. Who, who, who am I, God, to boldly and persistently ask for you to supply my needs. In this story, there is embedded this truth that God the Father calls us his child because he made us and created us and he wants to meet our needs. Which one of us would not bend over backwards, take another job, 
do whatever we had to do to meet the needs of our kids. Every single one of us would do everything we possibly could to meet the needs of our kids if they asked. And yet, he contrasts our wanting to meet the needs of those children with his infinite, perfect, holy goodness which wants to meet the needs of his children. And so he says, come and ask with bold persistence. I want to close with a story from Roman history that that explains this kind of of bold persistence, this, this impudence, which imagines that we have a right to ask from God. It's the story of a, a Roman emperor. A Roman emperor in his chariot as a part of a parade. There were cheering people who were lining the streets while this parade was happening. As the Roman emperor went down the middle of the street because they'd won the battle. Cheering people lining the streets, military guards stationed to keep the people at a safe distance. And so this emperor's family would sit on a platform to watch the emperor go by in all of his pride and and the glory of his position. And so as this emperor in this parade came to the place where his family was stationed, a young boy jumped down from that platform He burrowed through the crowd, and he tried to dodge one of the guards so he could run up to the emperor's chariot. And the soldier, the guard, stopped him. And he said, you cannot go near him. (laughs) The boy laughed. The boy laughed. And he said, he may be your emperor, but he is my father. And he ran into his father's open arms and was embraced by him because he was his child. Friends, bold persistence doesn't come because we have a status that deserves it, because we have earned it. Bold persistence comes because we have a status that has been earned for us. And that status as his child has been earned for us on the cross. We can pray boldly because we are asking a God who wants to give his goodness and his mercy and his riches to us. He is eager to respond to his children who unashamedly and boldly and persistently ask for his good gifts. It's why Jesus says, ask. Seek. Not even just that, but knock. The problem for us is that we let the world's voices, the clamor of the world's voices that vie for our attention, crowd out the still and silent voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts and into our lives. Friends, those things keep us from hearing from the Holy Spirit. The great writer C.S. Lewis reminds us of this challenge that we face. It's a challenge we face at the beginning of every day. You faced it today as you decided to prepare and to get ready for worship and to get dressed and to get your family together. You faced this challenge because the moment you wake up each morning, all of your wishes and your hopes for the day begin to rush at you like wild animals, as he says. 
And this is C.S. Lewis. He says, the first job for the follower of Jesus each morning, the first job for us as God's children consists in moving all those worries back, of shoving it all back. The first job for us is listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting all those other, larger, stronger, stronger seemingly things in our lives to be quieted by the life of the Holy Spirit flowing in, friends. And so I'm going to close by simply having us, like we did last week, engage in a time together to pray for one another. I'm going to ask that we have some time here in a series on prayer, not just to, to talk about prayer, but to spend some time together learning to pray with and for one another. So I'm going to direct that time. I'm going to ask that you, in groups of about four or five, get together. Uh, five, six if you need. doesn't matter a whole lot. But get together where you are. Turn around with somebody, and uh, we'll lead you in a time of prayer. I want to... Uh, Suggest, first of all, um, that we pray for uh, our spiritual needs for one another. Make them known to each other if you need to. We'll also pray for the lost, for the spiritual needs of others we don't yet know. And then we'll also pray for us as a congregation in our launching of the second service coming up soon. So right now, let's go ahead and uh, get with some other folks together in just a minute here, and I'm going to direct us in a time of prayer. I'll make a suggestion, and we'll, then we'll spend a few minutes praying together. First thing I want you to do is for just a few seconds, um, among one another, just share a couple things you need prayer about and prayer for, and uh, we'll spend some time praying about those, and then I'll uh, suggest the next thing in about another minute or so. So go ahead.
the spiritual needs of those we don't know who may not be a part of our congregation or church family. So let's pray for the lost in our community. Uh, finally, let's spend just a few more moments praying about the launch of our second service on September 11th and uh, that God would continue to bless our work here at First Christian Church and unify us around his mission. God, it is our desire as the people of God to be in relationship with you in a way that means that our lives are continually shaped by your presence, that our thoughts are held captive by the truth that you came to save us from ourselves. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves and our lives and this body to you as a response as a response to that relationship that you made possible through the cross Lord we're thankful for these friends and the opportunity to be together for the opportunity to boldly approach you in prayer and to continue to ask for the things that we know you want to give us that are good things from your heart and so Lord we lay claim to the truth that you love us as your children and you created us and you are shaping us to continually become people who glorify you with our lives because we have relationship with you as your children. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to close our time with a, an invitation to those of you who are looking for a church home as a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. 
we offer that invitation to you to become a part of us at First Christian Church to place your membership with us as an immersed believer in Christ. If you have not yet publicly named Christ in the waters of baptism, we want to also extend that invitation to you as we stand and sing together.